It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, March 26, 2021. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. A Sitka grand jury has returned four felony counts against an alleged hit-and-run driver who killed a bicyclist earlier this month and two felony counts against her father for allegedly attempting to cover up the crime. 19-year-old Brooke Mulligan has been indicted on one count of manslaughter for recklessly causing the death of Terry Allen Carlson on March 8th of this year, one count of criminally negligent homicide, one count of leaving the scene of an accident without rendering aid, and one count of tampering with evidence to impair a criminal investigation. All are felony counts. Her father, 70-year-old Richard Dennis Mulligan, was indicted on one count of tampering with evidence to impair a criminal investigation and one count of rendering assistance to a person who may have committed a felony with intent to hinder prosecution. Both counts are felonies. Brooke Mulligan is being held in the Sitka jail pending $500,000 bail. She's being represented by the public defender. Her next hearing is scheduled for May 11th in the Sitka Superior Court. A preliminary hearing for Richard Dennis Mulligan has not yet been scheduled. You can find additional reporting on this story at our website, kcaw.org. City staff are moving forward with a major airport renovation project with the hopes of securing more funding in the future. Public Works Director Michael Harmon presented plans and progress to the Sitka Assembly on Tuesday. The city owns the Sitka Rocky Gutierrez Airport building, but the airport is operated by the state. According to Harmon, there are safety issues that need to be mitigated. The terminal is congested. The passenger departure lounge is too small and often too hot. There are problems with the TSA screening area, and the addition of Delta Airlines in 2015 made the airport even more congested. Harmon estimated that the project will cost just over $18 million. So far, the city has secured around $4.5 million. Harmon expects the city is likely to receive around $10 million more from the feds and the state. He presented three options to the assembly for moving forward. Do nothing and drop the project entirely. Make some smaller adjustments costing between $4 and $7 million or carry out the full project. Looking at doing this in phases, if we proceed, we do recommend proceeding with the full option C build out, do what we can as money comes available, be patient with it. We'd like to bring a contractor on board right away to look at more efficient ways we can build this in stages. Even if the anticipated funding is secured, the city will likely need to find an additional $3.5 million somewhere else. And it would take some time for the project to get off the ground. Member Valerie Nelson asked Harmon exactly how long it could be before the project is completed. So this project probably wouldn't even go to bid until, you know, at at best, um, summer of 2022. And... Um, how long do you anticipate it's going to take to build it? We're probably looking at a two-year season to build this, if you're talking the full build-out. The Assembly directed Harmon to continue developing the project and to inform the body of any changes in funding availability. Staff plans to complete the design phase by spring of 2022. Alaskans have a little less than a week to apply for the open round of the Paycheck Protection Plan. The loan program is designed to keep workers on the payroll instead of unemployment insurance. As KUAC's Robin reports, local banks are already busy with applications. The application period started in January, and most of the corporate banks in Alaska are participating. Clark Behag, the senior area manager for the Small Business Administration, says the SBA has already approved more than 7,000 loans in Alaska, 
and brought in $581 million in the second round of the PPP. BHOG says it's all about keeping people on the payroll. So employers have to follow a few rules. In order for the funds to turn into a grant, they have to use at least 60% of the funds on payroll costs. Now, they can use 100% of it for payroll. That's fine. But minimum 60%. The remainder must be spent on mortgage, rent, and utilities. But the main focus is Alaska workers. Depending on how much your loan is, you have to either maintain or restore your employee levels back to what it was at February 15th. And you have to maintain your compensation levels. The SBA wants to focus on small businesses. Across the country, the average loan size is about $63,000. This money comes from CARES II, the second Coronavirus Relief Act passed by Congress in December. It expanded eligibility for the loans to include nonprofits and live venues and cultural institutions which have been struggling due to pandemic-forced closures. Bihag says he wants to make sure small businesses take advantage of those changes. For example, the first round of the payroll protection program was difficult for the smallest of businesses, sole proprietors. When the ORP formula was in place, a lot of sole proprietors couldn't benefit because they either had no net income or it was very little that it it didn't make sense for them to apply. So there was a change to the formula. If you are a Schedule C filer, you can now use your gross income to calculate your PPP loan amount. Mihag and the Small Business Development Center offer free webinars every Wednesday on various coronavirus relief programs. Not to be confusing, but on the horizon is more money for businesses from the American Rescue Act, which was just passed this month. Out of the American Rescue Plan Act, there are new programs that are still being developed. There's the Restaurant Revitalization Fund Grant. It's going to help businesses that are in the food and service industry. But the deadline for the PPP is coming up. It's Wednesday, March 31st. An extension bill has been passed by the U.S. House, and if it's taken up by the U.S. Senate and signed into law before next Wednesday, the application deadline will be extended to June. In Fairbanks, I'm Robin. Of all the communities in the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta with public vaccination data, Macoriuk on Nunavak Island has the highest amount of its eligible population vaccinated against COVID-19. 98% of its residents aged 16 and older have gotten their shots. KYUK's Anna Rose MacArthur talked with the mother-daughter duo who helped their community reach near total vaccination. McCoryuk has two health aides, and they're super close. We understand each other. This is Linda Davis. Not only a good coworker, but a friend and my daughter. I like working with my mom. This is Shara Davis. We support each other a lot, and we're always there helping each other when we need help. Linda, the mom, started working as a health aide for the Yukon-Kuskokwim Health Corporation in Macoryuk 13 years ago. Shara, her daughter, began working in the same position soon after. Many YK Delta communities face high turnover of health aides. Some communities have no health aides at all for long stretches. But working together has helped keep these two family members in their roles for over a decade. This is Linda. Well, uh, for me, it was teamwork. And I feel the same, too. Um, we support each other a lot, and 
we work well together. When the pandemic struck, that collaboration helped Macoriuk's response. Shara remembers the moment when life changed. She had just returned home from a trip to Hawaii. When I came back, I had to do daily temperature checks, and I haven't left since. Then her son's preschool shut down. Shara switched to working part-time so she could be home to help her son with classes. The community enacted strict health precautions. Anyone flying into Macoriuk needed permission from the tribe to exit the plane. People took social distancing and masks seriously. Cases stayed low. No one in the community died from the virus. Then, in December, the vaccine arrived in the region. In January, the health corporation quickly found a way to open vaccinations to everyone age 16 and older. Shara and Linda got vaccinated and worked to educate everyone on the island about the vaccine. The key, Shara said, was constant and personal communication. Announcing on the VHF, calling patients, reaching out one by one, A lot of people had questions about possible reactions to the vaccine. Shara and Linda put some people in contact with doctors at YKHC to answer their questions. About 200 people live in Macoriuk. About 120 of them are old enough for the vaccine. Nearly all have chosen to get it. Shara says most people had two reasons they wanted to be vaccinated. A lot of our community did want to protect our elders and our children since the children can't get the COVID vaccine yet. The community also wanted to get its students back in the classroom. In early March, that became possible. After months of lockdown, Shara's six-year-old son joined his kindergarten class in person. He was so excited to go back to school. He kept counting down the days. (laughs) He missed his friends. He missed his teachers. Other than school reopening, Shara and Linda say vaccination has not changed life on the island. People still mask and social distance. Travel restrictions remain in place. But mother and daughter feel a sense of ease that didn't exist before. And the days of being able to gather with the community they've worked to protect feel closer. Basketball or volleyball or fiddles. Just the same what Sarah said and also being able to visit family in other places. What will make these gatherings possible, they say, is more people across the entire region getting vaccinated against the virus. In Bethel, I'm Anna Rose MacArthur. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. Oh.